I kind of put myself behind the eight ball, backed myself into a corner in two ways this morning, I think. One is trying to preach before pancakes. I know keeping our minds focused here is going to be a challenge. Second, we're given highlights from the book of Galatians in all, what's already supposed to be a shortened service, so we'll see how we do. We said last week that the reason we're doing that in Galatians is this letter was written to a lot of the churches that Paul stopped at on his first missionary journey, people that he cared a lot about and people that he wanted to see grow in Jesus. That's why we're slipping over here this week, but... As I started to prepare this week, I I thought about a quote that you all know from a man named Patrick Henry, the outset of the Revolutionary War. If you know it, say it with me. Give me liberty or give me death. It was the summary of the heartbeat of our nation's founders. It was basically in a nutshell, saying that freedom and liberty are worth everything. And I think it's important that we remind our children and our own generation of that. The the further removed time-wise we get from that moment in our country, freedom is worth everything. No matter what anyone offers you, be it another government or country or your own government, do not trade in your freedom. It's worth everything. Give me liberty or give me death. It's true politically, but it's even more true, more important spiritually. And that's what this whole book of Galatians, this letter was about. He's writing to people whose very spiritual lives and freedom are on the line. It's the same for you and I this morning. It's true for us because, you know what, I know something about me and chances are about you too. We have all sinned this week. If you're like me, you probably said this morning. And we're all faced with the big question, what do I do with that sin? And I thought of three responses. One is to deny it, push it down inside. The trouble with that is it always comes back, right? We we know we sin. The second one is to try in our own power to deal with it. And you all know that cycle. I'm going to try to do better then I fail, and then the condemnation kicks in. So next time I'm going to try even harder, and then I fail even harder, and the condemnation kicks in even harder. So I'm going to deny, I'm going to try in my own power, or I'm going to rely on the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm going to rest in what he did on the cross in my place for my justification, my being made right before God. That was what was at stake for the Galatians. That's what's at stake for you and I. You remember the background as we went through Acts 14. Paul goes to all these cities, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and he tells these people, all you have to do to be made right with God is trust in what Jesus has done. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. That's it. He, he did it. The whole message of it is finished on the cross. Most of you guys know that was something that was written on receipts at the marketplace at that day. After someone paid for something in full, the guy that sold it would write tetelestai on the receipt. It is finished. It is paid. It is taken care of. That's what the cross was all about. So Paul proclaimed that message of freedom, and these people believed it. 
And they start living in the joy of being forgiven and knowing that they were right with God. But on the heels of that, there was a group called the Judaizers that followed him into those cities. There were people that wanted to say that Paul's message was wrong. You can't be saved just by trusting in Jesus. You've also got to be circumcised if you're a male, and you've got to follow the entire Jewish law. And the people in these cities began to believe that. And they started to slide from the freedom in the true gospel back to a legalism. That's why Paul's so concerned that he sits down and writes this letter. You can hear his concern, and we're just going to flip around to a couple places. You can flip with me or just listen. It's up to you. You can hear it in chapter 4, verse 19. He says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. Any of you ladies know the pains of childbirth? You say an amen. He is hurting, hurting for these people. I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's his desire. He wants them to grow in Christ and in the freedom that comes with Christ. And it hurts him. He cares for him so bad. He says, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. If you have teenagers, you might understand that. If you have ever been a teenager, you might have heard your parents say that to you. I'm perplexed about you. It's that moment where you look at them and say, I really want what's best for you, but you're choosing another path. I'm, I'm perplexed. I want you to, that's how he feels about these people. He wants them to rely on the Jesus that they heard about. He has the same tone in chapter three, a little stronger, but it's out of love. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? What's the answer to that? By believing what they had heard. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? He's like, guys, you heard the message of what Jesus did for you and you trusted in that and now you're going back. You're trying this frustrating, hopeless path of doing it in your own power. Why? Why are you doing this? And there's a reason this is so important. He sums it up in verse 11 of his letter in chapter 3. No one is justified before God by the law. To be justified is to be declared right by God. It's when God looks at you and says, you are right with me. And Paul says that no one gets there by doing their best. And that's true whether you're trying to follow the Jewish law or your own list of morals in your head trying to be good enough. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to even people that go to church week after week after week after week. And if you get down to brass tacks and ask them, how do you know you're right with God? Way too often the answer is I feel like I've lived a pretty good life and he'll let me in. That is not the message of the Bible. The Bible says no one is justified by living a good life. No one. The righteous will live by faith, it goes on to say. So you say, okay, if that's true, then why did God give the law? 
Is he trying to fool the, the Jews and the rest of the world into thinking they can, they can do it? Is, isn't that sort of sick of God? Why would he give them a law that they couldn't keep? That's a good question. I've wrestled through that. Maybe you have too. He answers that in chapter 3, verse 19. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions. In other words, it was added because of sin. And I'm going to explain that in just a moment after I read one more verse in that chapter. Verse 23. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law. Any of you remember that feeling before you came to Jesus? Being a prisoner? Locked up until faith should be revealed. So here we go. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. What's he saying? He's saying the law is there to put up a mirror in front of us and say, you need help. You need a savior. Because if you've ever read the Old Testament law or even the Ten Commandments, with what Paul said in your mind, Paul said if you break it at just one point, you've broken the whole thing you know you're in trouble. Just the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 16, and 17. There's two commandments there. One, do not lie. Who in this room has never told a lie? (laughs) The next one is do not covet. (laughs) Yes. And so right from the get-go, we realize we've broken his law. That's why he gave it to us to lead us to Christ. And I thought about the law as I I read a news story this week, and I debated whether or not to share the news story because it's heavy. It's almost depressing, but I think it shows the weight with which Paul was talking to these people because he is talking about a life or death issue. So I bring this story to you just with a heavy heart as a parent, but I hope you'll see where we're going with it. I'm sure it'll break your heart like it broke mine. It happened in Canada about two weeks ago. You may have read the story. There was a sleepover. And two little brothers, Noah and Connor, four years old and six years old, were were sleeping there. Upstairs, unbeknownst to them, a pet shop owner lived who had a 100-pound python. The python got out of its aquarium got into the ductwork and was so heavy that it crashed through the ceiling and strangled these two brothers to death. I read that story and I got two boys, seven and four, and it just broke my heart. We ought to pray for that family. But I thought about that, that python and as it relates to the law and what we're talking about. That python, in its right context, either nature or inside its cage, if you're a snake person, and I realize that's an acquired taste, I'm really not, but if you're a snake person, any in here? Wow. Oh, okay, come. Gene, thank you. (laughs) There is a beauty when you look at that animal in its right context, whether it's the, the raw strength or the, just the design, the, the, the coloration on its skin. There, you can appreciate that there's a beauty 
and a power here, and it's, it's beautiful in its right context. But when it got out of its context, out of its cage, somewhere where it never had any business being, it became something oppressive that brought death. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? It's kind of similar with God's law. There is a beauty to God's law. When you look at it, you get a glimpse of just how holy he is. Because you look at it and say, wow, I could never get there. He's above me. He is awesome. He is righteous. He is beyond me. I cannot get there. There's a beauty and a, and a power to it. When we realize that it's there to lead us to Jesus. When we see it in that context, we say, wow, God, thank you for the road sign to Jesus. I needed that. But when we take it out of that context and say, I'm going to be made right with God by keeping this. When it gets out of the parameters it was meant to be inside, it becomes the very thing that brings death in our lives because we cannot do it on our own. It leads us to the cross, and that's where we're going to close today in Galatians 2.20. This was the answer Paul found after years of trying to keep the law himself. God brought this answer to him, the way to freedom. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I think that's one of the most widely memorized verses in the Bible. Probably one of the least understood. As I dove into it this week, I'm like, what does this even mean, Paul? This is so... Crazy to even, I mean, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but the life I now live, Christ lives in me. What's going on here? And we're not going to plumb the depths of this verse this morning, but the bottom line is when you look at what Jesus did on the cross, when he took the sin of the world upon himself and died for it, and you trust in that for being made right with God, what this verse is saying is you enter into a relationship that Paul talks a lot about as in Christ. Before you live life in yourself, in your own power, in sin, in death, when you trust in Jesus, you begin to live life in Christ. And one of the things that means is that in some way, shape, or form, you are directly connected with him when he died on that cross. When he died... There was a part of you that died as well. Your self-righteous attempts to be made right with God, the penalty that sin had on you, were nailed to that cross. And Paul says, I no longer live. He's saying, I'm no longer trying to be made right with God in my own power. It's not my effort. But Christ lives in me. See, not only were you tied with him when he died on the cross, you were tied with him when he rose again. And just as he began a resurrection, spirit-powered life when he stepped out of the, the tomb, you too, if you've trusted in Jesus, have started a new life where Jesus lives in you. And you say, how do I do that? How do I live? How does Jesus live in me? 
He says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, all of a sudden, it's not me trying in my own power to be made right with God. It's me saying, I believe, Jesus, you live inside of me through the Holy Spirit. I trust you. I'm going to rest in you to do it through me. You feel the freedom in that? You feel the power in that? Compared to I'm going to try it? And you say, what do, what do we do with that? If we got this great power. We go later on in the book. Chapter 5. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The idea of fruit, as was reminded me this week, is you, know, you don't see trees working real hard to push the fruit out. Just like with your own body, you don't think about growing nails or hair. It's just natural function of, of your body. And as you walk with the Spirit, as you depend on Him, He begins to live His life through you. becomes the question of, am I reading my Bible because I have to or to get closer to Jesus and let Him live through me? Am I praying because I have to or to let Jesus live His life through me? I want to close where Paul closes in chapter 6. He says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. That only comes when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that's where the freedom kicks in. And I encapsulated it this week in a, in a short thought. I thought about this. That no passing trial, and we all have trials in our lives, no passing trial can quench the flame of freedom in a soul that's been set free by Jesus. You know this if you've been set free by Jesus. Yes, there are moments of pain and tears and grief, even agony, but underneath it all, there's a, a rest, a, a foundation, because I know that I'm free in Jesus. Nothing can change that. No passing trial can take that away from me. The flip side is true as well. No passing pleasure can break the shackles off of a soul enslaved by legalism. Maybe some of you know that. You, you've tried to be made right with God by your own power and the guilt remains. And so you try to, try to live life to the fullest. You know, whatever it is for you. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to see that, I'm going to go there. I'm going to... And after years of that, you've realized that no passing pleasure can break these shackles. The only thing that can break those shackles is Jesus. So as we prepare to pass the communion elements, these are for those of you who have trusted in Jesus. It's a reminder this does not save you. I want you to, to think through in your own heart. Let God speak to you. Number one, am I free in Jesus this morning? Have I, have I placed my trust in what Jesus did on the cross for my salvation? And if your answer is yes, why don't you take a moment to thank him with all your heart that you're free. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I've never trusted in that. And 
This could be your moment where you look at God the Father in your heart of hearts and say, Father, I need that freedom. I'm a slave and I feel the weight of these shackles. I need the freedom that comes in Jesus. I trust in what he did on the cross. I want him to be my savior. That could be you this morning. Last group I thought about, maybe you've trusted in the freedom that Jesus brings in the past, but this week you've fallen back into the cycle that these Galatians have. You started with the spirit. Maybe you fell into a sin and you say, oh, I got to climb this ladder to get back right with God again. And you started the performance treadmill again. You're feeling the futility of that. You need to lay that down. Say, Jesus, I return to the freedom that you offered me. I ask you to pray through all that as the communion's pass, and then we'll take it together. Lord, I just thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians out of the concern of his heart. It was life or death, freedom or shackles for these people based on whether they chose to trust in Jesus and him alone or to try in their own power to be made right with you. Thank you, Jesus, for setting us free. I pray that the the heart in this room will be filled with gratitude for that. God, may we never take that for granted. May we rejoice in that this morning. And if there are any hearts bound by shackles this morning, I pray that you'd set them free with the truth of a Savior who died and rose for them. In Jesus' name, amen.